Welcome once again to Benchwork, a podcast designed to provide you with knowledge, experiences, tools, and ideas about venture capital, entrepreneurship, and finance. Interviews and conversations with top-notch global experts will take place every week, hosted by me, Hector Shibata, Director of Investments and Portfolio at Daisy Ventures, a global corporate venture capital fund, an associate professor for entrepreneurial finance and venture capital. Don't forget to follow us for more content on Medium, LinkedIn, and Twitter as ACB underscore BC. With no more to say, hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone. It's a pleasure to be with you. And thank you so much, Joanna Drake, to be today with us. It's, it's, it's great having you. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. No. So let's start, let's start with, the, with the fire chat. So tell us a little about yourself, a little about your background. Who's Joanna? <laughs> well, um, I'm actually from the Midwest in the United States, from Chicago, specifically where I grew up, um, but came out to the Bay Area, Silicon Valley, to go to school at Berkeley and then Stanford. And like so many folks that go through the college programs here, you never leave afterwards because it's such a good business market opportunity and a wonderful place to live. Uh, so I have had, since I graduated from Stanford, really three, almost four different professional chapters. My first chapter was uh, as a management consultant with Booz Allen and Hamilton where I was very fortunate some of my colleagues were sent to go work on oil and gas projects or Heinz ketchup or cosmetics. I actually got the first strategy work in the film industry and then subsequently did a lot of work with some of the largest Hollywood media companies. And then I switched my focus to servicing tech clients uh, in Silicon Valley. So over my span of five years in management consulting, worked with some of the most influential and successful media and tech companies, which is why uh, when I finally got bit by the startup bug and became an entrepreneur, I had a series of venture-backed media tech startups. Uh, there were three specifically that I either formed, joined very early as an executive and helped to build or I co-founded the most well-known was an interesting company we co-founded with Vice President Al Gore. It was a company called Current TV. You all are way too young to remember, but before there was a category called social media, we built the first online production studio before there was YouTube, before there was Facebook, and we invited our audience to submit their own content, and we raised $45 million in capital to uh, secure cable and satellite distribution around the world. And we broadcast the first user-generated content and the first citizen journalism. Ultimately, we sold that company to Al Jazeera for a very good outcome. Uh, I had a short stint as the CEO of a public mobile company out of Japan, which is such a complex chapter, I'm not gonna mention it. Um, but then I got very interested in, as I was thinking about the next company I would start, I started angel investing. And as I was angel investing, I had three realizations. One is that I had a really good deal flow. I had hired so many terrific uh, talent members in tech startups that I had a lot of them now coming to me as 
founders wanting me to advise or invest in them. So I had great access to strong companies. Number two, I could do a lot more than just write a check because I had built companies from scratch. So really had a good, uh, not only a good network, but a good playbook on what it takes to be successful as a founder. And three, I, um, as I was angel investing, I was really struck with how few uh, people with diverse profiles are in the venture capital decision-making seat and specifically how few women there were and people of color. And it inspired me to move to the other side of the table to be a venture capitalist myself because it struck me that if we don't diversify the ranks of the venture capitalists, we're really gonna lose out on a lot of fantastic entrepreneurs and fantastic new companies. So I did just that and I joined a partner and we built a seed stage generalist venture firm called Core Ventures Group. And I managed that for the last seven years. We deployed two funds, uh, invested in 23 companies. Uh, and then I just, during the pandemic year of 2020, because I had a great opportunity, decided to launch a new venture firm with a new partner. And we launched in September of last year, a new firm called Magnify Ventures. So my professional chapters have moved from management consulting through to company building as an entrepreneur through to investing now on my second firm. Wow, you have an amazing career and an amazing experience. Congratulations, Joanna. So tell us, what, what, what do you require to be a successful entrepreneur? Yeah, as um, you know, I think it's everyone has their different lens on what they think is important. Um, for me, first and foremost, because if you are doing early uh, investing into startups, you're really going to partner with the founders for quite some time. Especially in the B2B space or B2B models, it can you know be seven to ten and sometimes even longer years before there is an exit. So at least in that early chapter of zero to five, you're gonna be really supporting the founders and working closely with them. And because of that, to me, the first set of criteria I think about when I'm spending time with an entrepreneur and thinking about backing them is not only their domain expertise and the problem that they're trying to solve, but as importantly, their leadership qualities. Do they have integrity? Do they have visionary communication skills? Can they attract great talent? Are they a good person and a good manager who can retain good talent because it's always a battle over talent? Uh, can they be effective fundraisers? So it's a holistic perspective on the, the portfolio of leadership skills, either if it's just a singular founder or across the founding team. And in my experience, it's really important for founders, founder teams to be balanced between business and technology, to have some humility around the areas that they don't know in terms of company building that will be required to be successful, to be open to feedback and collaborative. And then very important to also um, be willing to change course cut losses when you can, because if there's anything that I know as a former entrepreneur, uh, you don't necessarily pivot violently all the time, but you have to incrementally change the company to be responsive to the market. 
and it oftentimes feels a bit like a roller coaster, but you have to have some conviction in your vision and just be adaptive in your ability to change on course along the way. That's very, very interesting. And, and tell me, as a, as a BC investor, what do you require to be a BC investor? Anyone can be a BC investor? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and there certainly has been an explosion of what we call micro VCs or emerging fund managers with smallish funds, maybe below 100 million. Uh, there have been many more entrepreneurs and operators entering the venture space, which I think is particularly exciting because it is diversifying the profile of the future venture partner. But uh, if I contrast what it takes to be a good VC with an entrepreneur, uh, it does require a lot of um, uh, a lot of capacity to juggle multiple responsibilities, particularly if you're an entrepreneurial fund manager who's building a new VC firm. Because if you think about it, you're not just company building, you have to come up with a brand and you have to market yourself and you have to raise money, but you have to build a team, even if it's small, and then you have to build your own model from scratch around how you source due diligence, make decision around investments, what your model of engagement is, all while you're still managing LP or limited partner relationships. So there's so many aspects that are always on around fundraising and relationship management in addition to sourcing deals, in addition to supporting companies. So it's quite an expansive role. It's an exciting one because you, you can learn so much and constantly be shifting gears, but it uh, requires the ability to focus when necessary, but also be multi multifaceted and patient. It's, you know, for most emerging fund managers, and I'm not talking about the big established firms, I'm really, my specialty because I've been there is in the emerging fund manager space. It does take quite some time, especially if you're starting out without a financial track record to convince limited partners to put money into your fund in order to establish a track record, which may take one to two to three funds to do so. And for instance, if you're an emerging manager, probably you don't have a track record. How can you develop that track record in order to raise your first fund? Yeah, um, oftentimes emerging fund managers may use small checks to establish an angel track record as individuals before they're able to raise money outside from new LPs in their firm. And if they can show across that portfolio of angel investments that they're exciting novel companies that have traction and that they've been working with good co-investors, that's a, a, um, a good step forward to establishing the potential for institutional investors to back you even without a tracker. Okay. And uh, what are the building blocks in order to raise capital for a BC fund? The building blocks. Um, so I think, you know, if I just think from scratch what the typical process is, and I'll, and I'll share this because um, when I transitioned from being an entrepreneur into a fund manager, one of the things that struck me was how uh, non-transparent the world of LPs are and how one could as an emerging fund manager spend years taking meetings 
with potential investors, but oftentimes not being given a firm no, not really being given a lot of feedback and taking a very, very long time to do a first close, especially without a track record. So one of the things that I did is I co-founded a conference called RAISE, R-A-I-S-E, which has really become a community. And what we do at RAISE is we bring together all the exciting emerging fund managers every year. It's invite only. and We tend to invite somewhere between 150 and 300 last year because we were remote. And it becomes almost a marketplace because we pair those emerging fund managers with LPs or limited partners who are interested in backing emerging fund managers because they know historically that they have some of the most exciting returns. So we're creating a community that helps them find each other far more quickly so they don't have to take so many long meetings and never get to a first close. But as we work with the emerging fund managers that come to our RAISE conference every year, one of the things we help them with is ensuring that they have a exciting and articulate and if possible, data supported fund pitch. And in fact, we even have a, uh, essentially a competition every year where up to uh, maybe 75 to 80% of the funds that come to our conference submit a pitch. And we have a selection committee that reads all the pitches, grades them, and then selects the best 30. And we give all those 30s a spotlight in front of the entire audience to do a 10 minute pitch. But just to give you an example of what's important from an LP perspective, some of the criteria we use are, number one is do they have a really interesting and unique investor thesis? And they have they done a good job of researching and substantiating that investment thesis and essentially demonstrating that there's a big market uh, underneath it that can generate outsized returns. Number two, if that investor thesis is unique and looks substantiated, do they themselves as a firm bring unique capabilities to both source great deals in that space and also to support those entrepreneurs in order for them to be successful? Then of course, do they have a demonstrated track record as financial managers behind them? And as we were speaking, if they're only on a first fund or a second fund, and they really don't have an established track record, is there at least an angel portfolio? Or were they spinning out of another fund where they might have some attributable deals with some data analysis underneath it? And finally, we are excited and interested when we see the ranks of emerging fund managers diversify. So we give extra credit points to those teams that have at least one decision maker or person of color, uh, in addition to um, being very interested for our community coming out of Silicon Valley to diversify beyond Silicon Valley. So we really like geographic diversity. And these days we have emerging fund managers coming from all across the United States, but also from Europe, Asia, and Latin America. That's that's amazing. That's impressive. And congratulations for the for the for embrace. How as, as you know, you've been an entrepreneur, you've been a BC investor. What's what is more complicated? Raising capital as a startup or raising capital for a fund? It's a really good question. Um, I think in many regards, it's a bit more complicated raising for a fund if you're emerging fund manager at the early life cycle. 
if you're at a very established fund working on, you know, fund number seven, you've probably still been around because your track record is very good and you have a base of LPs that continue to back you. And if in fact you have some breakout performance in some of your funds, you almost don't have to do any work to raise the next fund. In fact, you you don't even let new LPs in. So there's a really different world. Um, but in the emerging fund manager space, just because it's hard to um, build your credibility and get LPs to take the risk on emerging fund managers without a track record, it can be a very complex and long-winded process. Versus if you're an entrepreneur, at least here in Silicon Valley, I, I know it's a bit different in different regions, but there's a very known playbook about the kind of pitch that you should be making and you, usually would develop a target list of investors and run a process whereby you would have a, a prioritized set of waves for second, third, set a time frame, use the best intro you can to get to the right partner in the fund and start the clock. And then you're going through cycles to try to get to a lead and ideally get more than one term sheet. And at that point you can assemble a syndicate and do a close. That's a very known playbook. Doesn't always work, but I think because there is so much venture capital out there right now, it's actually easier now than other times. Uh, and that uh, is a, it's easier to get to an understanding of whether you can raise or not versus for an emerging fund manager. You know, I, I, I completely, I completely agree with you. And as, as you as you're raising capital, you need to manage relationship with with limited partners, with your investors in the fund. Obviously, all the invest all the limited partners they will be looking for a financial return at some point in time. How do you how do you manage that relationship? And do you provide any added value as a fund manager to the LPs apart from the financial return? Well, I, I, I can answer that question from uh, the Core Ventures Group. We're, we're very early in building out Magnify Ventures, but um, from Core Ventures Group, one of the uh, value propositions that we did provide a subset of our LPs was to be trusted insiders in Silicon Valley. My partner there, Shinya Akamine, and I both had been serial entrepreneurs out of Stanford um, multiple companies, multiple exits, big network. And so we had a small base of Japanese corporate LPs who were very interested in understanding the trends, the direct investment opportunities as they were either building funds or wanting to understand better innovation coming out of Core Ventures Group. So for us, one for that subset of investors, we, we did act as a regular sounding board to their interests and a connector for them. But I think there's a broad range, um, you know, uh, and, and part of the relationship with the LPs will depend on the type of LPs that they are. Corporates obviously have a set agenda, which you know very well about Hector, and um, a family fund office versus a high net worth individual would have a very different set of agendas. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And as, as you have the money, you, you, you start, you know, investing the money. How would you describe the typical investment process in a VC fund? Uh, you know, so it is a little bit 
different between early stage investors and later stage investors? If you're looking at growth rounds, to me, that's a little bit more about financial science and checking boxes on what, if any, are gaps or hurdles for the company to get to the next level of growth and potential exit. At the earliest stage, especially if you're even investing as early as pre-seed on concept and just making a bet on founders, there's not a lot of data to play with. There's not a lot of financial models to run. So the first and foremost is for me, as I mentioned, building, if we're sourcing a deal, um, building trust in the capacity, the capability of the founder to be a successful startup founder, because we know how hard that is and the odds are against them. So you have to first build trust in the founding team that they can in fact be successful building and scaling a venture-backed business. And then the second piece has to do with understanding the market and building confidence in the potential for their particular solution to be differentiated and to be strong enough to break through and be on a trajectory for venture-sized returns. Uh, and then I think the third piece of the puzzle after you've gotten comfortable when you're considering due, when you're in due diligence and considering making an investment besides understanding the marketplace and the founding team is really thinking about the syndicate of investors. If there's one lesson I've learned as an entrepreneur and an early stage investor, it's that only second in importance to the quality and domain expertise of the founding team is the quality of the co-investor syndicate. There's so much capital out there uh, that often, too often I've seen deals where uh, investors will write a check and then not add any other value, which is just a lost opportunity because there's so much work uh, to be done with these small early stage rounds before you have to raise funds again. So I think it's really important to assemble syndicates that are complementary, where they can help you raise additional capital and down the road, where they can help you attract talent, where they might have some expertise uh, in the marketplace that you're attacking, and or uh, they they can roll up their sleeves and be an advisor on an operator and company building front. So we really look for trusted syndicates that are complementary and can really help accelerate the company's growth to the next stage of financing. Okay. So at the end, you are, you are picking startups uh, one by one, you are doing the investment, uh, but at the end, what you are trying to achieve is you are trying to build a portfolio. Uh, how, how is that process in terms of building the portfolio? Yeah, well, it, you know, it really does depend on um, the investor thesis and the construction model. And what I mean by that, if you're a generalist firm, as we were prior in Core Ventures Group, we really were backing great founders solving big problems and rolling up our sleeves and helping them get to the next stage, which could be anything from uh, uh, an IoT networking solution to an online computer science training program for kids to uh, uh, Legally, uh, legally enabled music streaming service for businesses. It's that broad of a range. And if you are a generalist and don't have an investor's theme, 
then um, you're not necessarily thinking about how to position companies complementarily into a portfolio. But if you're coming in with a very specific theme, then you may um, be looking for companies that have a solution for a problem you think the market has. And you may be trying to assemble a set of adjacent companies that together can make up a robust portfolio in your specific marketplace. So I think it's a very different lens. And then, as I mentioned, the second piece of the puzzle that's very important is the construction model, which is how you're modeling, how big your checks are into what stage of financing. Most of the time, for example, if you're emerging fund manager and you only have a 25 to $50 million fund, then you, you typically wanna pursue a portfolio strategy where you can place decent sized checks into syndicates at the seed stage and reserve enough capital to do follow on, but your fund really can't afford to start investing later stage. So you really wanna assemble within the active investment period that you have a robust set of companies that prove out your investment construction model. And as, as you build the portfolio uh, and, and you pointed out before, you, you interact with the different entrepreneurs. And obviously entrepreneurs are not only expecting or are trying to raise capital, but they are trying to get value from the VC investors. How do you add value to a startup? How do you interact with entrepreneurs in your portfolio? Well, I think every, every firm is different. And um, some firms have a policy of wanting to take board seats and lead the investor syndicates. And they, you know, from a governance and engagement level will be very involved in the companies. Some companies that do not have uh, concentrated portfolios, if they're writing very small checks into a very large volume of firms, obviously they don't actively don't want to take board seats. They may or may not want to show up at board meetings even as an observer, and they may be from a distance tracking along. So the engagement model is really different per firm. Uh, at Core Ventures Group, we were uh, actively in Fund One not taking board seats, but we got such strong demand over time by our entrepreneurs to take board seats that for fun too, we did actively lead syndicates and take board seats. And uh, from my experience, it's been a, um, it's a wonderful opportunity to stay very close to the teams and to have enough information that you can, you know, pull a page from your own playbook as an entrepreneur to help with whatever problem they're looking to solve, particularly if they're a first time founder, for example, how do I run my first board meeting? What's an operating plan look like? How do I recruit my first salesperson? What's their compensation schematic to all of the challenges and nuances around fundraising? And there, I mean, based on some research, some people says that 75% of the startups backed by VCs, they don't return the money to the VC funds. And, and you have a portfolio or any, any VC manager has a portfolio. Do you try to actively add value or engage with all the startups in the portfolio or you choose and you, or you pick and choose your winners and, and support more the winners rather than those that are gonna fail in the portfolio? Is there, is there a way to go in that Well, way? I think that, yeah, the, it's a good question. I don't think there's any 
right answer. Um, I think there are two schools of thought amongst the venture firms. One is as soon as you get signals that a company is taking off in an exciting fashion and is on a trajectory to scale, to be profitable, to be desirable in the marketplace, to be heading towards uh, a trajectory that will set them up for an exit, um, then they put a lot of energy, not just additional follow-on capital, but a lot of mind space and presence. Um, and as a corollary for those companies that are struggling, they haven't met, met their KPIs, they haven't been able to attract or retain great talent, they have competitors that are beating them in the marketplace, they have struggled with fundraising, then many, especially the big firms, will pull back from those companies a bit and maybe assign a more junior representative to be engaged with them. Um, at the earlier stages of seed investing and also in the emerging fund manager space, I think it's so much more about people. And um, uh, of course you need to, uh, you know, you want to optimize the outcome for the entire portfolio. But as you say, the odds are many of the companies are not gonna you know, return capital. And um, so I, I think there's also two schools of thought in that space around pulling back energy and support at a certain stage. For me personally, I, I think because I've been an entrepreneur, I know how hard it is. I really like to be involved and support the founders until even when they're exiting the company to sell it or to shut it down. Those are some of the hardest and most emotional periods. And um, I think a, you know, the caliber of, uh, of an early stage venture has to do with their investment in the relationship and the people. Because even if an entrepreneur company needed to shut down and was not successful, they might have learned so much that their next company is just going to be tremendous. And I, I, for me, I like to keep relationships with all of my entrepreneurs through the stages and chapters that they're pursuing after we back them as entrepreneurs in our portfolio. And as, as, as the venture capital fund grows, is it a matter or, you know, as, as an entrepreneur, obviously you need to pick and choose one fund vis-a-vis the other. But it's a matter of the fund by itself, or it's more a matter about who's the partner dealing the transaction? You know, I didn't quite understand that question. Can you re restate that? Yeah, I mean, typically, you know, as an entrepreneur, you will be raising capital, right? Mm -hmm. So you might approach one VC fund. Ah, okay. How do, you pick, how do you pick the VC fund? Yeah, how do you pick the VC funds? And also how relevant is the partner in that VC fund? or it's more about the brand name and the whole infrastructure that the BC fund brings to the table? Yeah, well, I think they're both important. Um, I, you know, the, the individual that you're gonna be working with hands-on that's your lead, I think is incredibly important to have good chemistry, trust, believe that there is value add, um, confidence in your vision and your company and that they will be there behind you supporting you. So I think that individual relationship is very important. But there are many um, companies, particularly the larger, more established ones that have such phenomenal brands and resources that they bring to bear a lot of other services that, for example, in the emerging fund manager space, we don't necessarily have the luxury of providing you know, HR talent recruiting support um, or 
uh, you know, specialized advisors in the sp space that you're working at, like a fintech advisor or um, uh, later stage uh, follow-on investment opportunities through uh, opportunity and growth funds, for example. If you're much further along as a venture firm, you may have a whole portfolio of services um, that are quite valuable in and of themselves. What's the toughest about being a VC investor? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, probably saying no to entrepreneurs. Yeah, it's as as you pointed out before. It's a it's a people business at the end. So mm -hmm. so you need to take care about the people. You're absolutely absolutely right. And what do you like better, being an entrepreneur or being a business investor? Well, that's a good question. I certainly, at this stage in my career, I feel um, that I'm so much better poised to be an effective early stage investor because I was a former entrepreneur. Um, and I probably wouldn't have enjoyed venture as much if I'd gone into venture out of the gate. So I like the sequence. I like both roles, but for me right now, I'm, I'm very happy as a, a venture investor. Any final recommendation, Joanna, to the entrepreneurs? Well, I, I guess leading off of that question from you, I do think it's uh, valuable to get some startup experience if you're really excited and interested in venture as a career. It does behoove you to at least you know, join a startup for some time to really get the feel for what it what it means to be company building in, in a venture-backed business. Uh, I, I find that former operators bring a lot to the table when they subsequently become venture investors. Great, thank you so much, Joanna, for your time. It's a pleasure having you today. Oh, my pleasure.